We've been in our, our Christmas series called Unexpected Grace. And, uh, and the question was, why this title? And, and I just want to give that a thought for a minute. Um, you know, if you think about it, for us it, it seems so natural, but it's really unexpected that God would come. Right? You just don't think of God walking into our world, your world, my world, that kind of stuff. It's even more unexpected that in His grace He would care. The, the, one of the big burst ideas sometimes is the idea that God actually cares for you. He actually cares for me. Right? When you actually think about that, you stop and go, wow, really? Kind of an amazing thing. But it's even more off the charts than unexpected that in His grace He would reach all the way out to, to save us. That that's why he came and, and, and to do that part. And, and, you know, sometimes you can look right at a miracle and miss it, right? You can know all the right words, know all the right stuff, have been there and think you got it. And the truth is you've absolutely missed it because you haven't entered into it. Uh, you know, let's look at the Christmas story and we'll just pick up a few cues. You, you know this story well. We don't have to put it on the screen. It's found in Matthew chapter 1. And uh, let me just read it to you. It says, this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Why don't we pray to him this morning? Father in heaven, thank you for that name. And Lord, uh, the name Jesus has such significance to us, such significance to history, but really it's significant for you. You picked that name on purpose, and it had great meaning. And as we gather this morning, we just ask for you to be among us. We ask for you to care about us. We ask for you, your presence to be here. And we ask that you would uh, capture our thinking uh, on this time when we celebrate your coming to our planet on our turf and we ask for your grace in your name. Amen. All right. Okay, let's just take a, a brief look at this this morning. We've got, uh, you shall call him Jesus and his name shall be Emmanuel. These are two very significant names. If we start with Emmanuel. Emmanuel first comes to us out of the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14. So if you want to look that up, you can look that up. But we're, giving the, we're given the meaning right here in the text. God with us. In other words, God wanted to take on a name that would communicate something to us, that would connect something for us, that he, he is not the God that's way out there somewhere. He's the God right here. He's Emmanuel, God with us. God on our turf. God stepping into our mess. 
right? Do you find that shocking? I did. I do. Still. Emmanuel, God with us. Right? And then, this is where the title of the series came, Unexpected Grace. What's unexpected? God with us. That he came and he actually joined us for... Uh, John, the apostle, says this, the law was given through Moses, how to behave right and do the right things, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God with us. And then the name Jesus uh, is Greek for Joshua, and both those names are shorthand for Yahweh, which means salvation. So we see that the idea of salvation is woven into the very first name of God. In other words, it's part of the etymology of it. Matthew says this, you will, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Luke 19 says this, For the Son of Man has come. Why? He has come to save that which is lost. If you don't know him this morning, you're in a good place because he's looking for you. He wants to find you. Now, I'm excited about this morning. Uh, because I was going through this and I thought, you know, we could do this theologically and we, we could throw all the things up on the screen and just go bap, 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 bap. And at the end, we all nod our head and go, yeah, wasn't that great? Merry Christmas. And out the door we go. And I thought, wouldn't it be better if we actually uh, had a story of somebody who actually got saved? I thought, it's just so much better. And so uh, in the middle of the week, I called two friends up and I said, hey, this is totally off the charts. Um, but would you be willing to share your story on Christmas because it's about how Jesus saves and you've got a story about that and would you be willing to do that? You know, I've told us many times there are miracles sitting right next to us and we don't know it because we don't know the stories, right? And so two of, they both agreed that they would come and share this morning. So would you give a warm welcome to my friends Bob and Michelle Lansing? They're going to come up and they're going to... Share their story this morning. Bob and Michelle help out uh, in Alpha. They basically run Alpha. And they have been around. Many of you know them, recognize them. Let me get your weapons toned up there. Is that on? Try it, Bob. It's on. There we go. And so, and I guess mine is too. Okay. The stage is yours. Well, I got to admit, the first thing when Steve called me, I thought, you know, do your job, write a sermon. (laughs) But anyway, so I guess my story starts with my birth. Uh, I was raised Catholic. Uh, My mom was Catholic. My dad was a sailor, and that was kind of his religion. Growing up, you know, I went to Catholic school a couple years, catechism, did all the things the church, the Catholic church told you to do. Thought I was in good standing with God because I was in good standing with the church. Uh, And so if you would have talked to me back then, somebody asked, you know, how's your relationship with God? I would have said, it's great. Um, All that kind of turned around when I was 10. A little nervous here, but uh, when I was 10, my mom died. Your turn. (laughs) So, uh, and my life was turned upside down. One, you know, uh, not only did she die, my dad was in the service. He was a career military person. 
Uh, he had five kids, no spouse. He was more or less forced to get out. He was pretty bitter about that. Uh, he spent the next 10 years uh, pretty much drinking every night till he passed out. So uh, when I was 17, I went in the service. But I'll go back to 10 years old. Uh, my sister, who was about 15, was the oldest in the family. She wound up pretty much having to take care of us. She was not in a good place for that. She was kind of in high school experimenting with drugs and alcohol, which some of that was thrown back on me as far as 10 years old, I started smoking, smoking marijuana, drinking. And uh, that was pretty much the next seven years. Then I went in the service at 17. And all the time we weren't at work, you know, we were out partying. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't say that, you know, the one good thing about that is, you know, somebody said, you know, you can't get saved until you get lost. Uh, before my mom died, I wouldn't have been lost. I thought I had everything, you know, just perfect. Uh, by this time, I was pretty sure I was lost. So, I'll read through. <laughs> He's supposed to be the strong one. I'm the crier. Um, so, my stories, there's similarities, but a little different. I was raised, uh, I was born in Southern California, raised in a very strong Mormon household. Um, I'm the third out of ten children. Uh, in our house, my dad was a bishop. Uh, actually, my ancestors came with Joseph Smith. So my background is very strong in the Mormon faith. Um, it was really important that we looked perfect. Um, we had, you know, we were supposed to uh, appear good. Uh, it was, you know, even as a child, I just... I remember thinking, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep it up. Um, so I would become rebellious because I would, uh, I would fall, and um, and I just couldn't keep up this facade. So I would go back to following God and following the Mormon Church and doing what was right, and then slipping. Um, I. I don't think my parents knew what to do with me because I'm stubborn and rebellious. Uh, but at the age of 18, I got pregnant, got married. I had three kids by the time I was 23. Um, and I married someone. My mom, I'll just back up a little with my mom. My mom had too many kids. She wasn't equipped to handle 10 children and 10 strong-willed children, I guess. Um, she did the best she knew, but I remember as a child driving in our big station wagon, and she would pull over on the side of the road and say, I don't want you anymore. Get out. And she always came back, but I think it left huge scars. I wasn't worthy of being loved. Um, so I ended up marrying someone that 
just continued that for me. Um, He told me he would love me when I deserved it. And so that, uh, that was painful, but I didn't know anything else. Um, so I emerged myself into uh, the Mormon church. I became a young women's president, which was higher up in the Mormon church. It was over the uh, 12 to 17-year-olds. Uh, but as things... Uh, got worse in my marriage. I did things to ruin it. He did things to ruin it. Uh, It just, we were broken people. Um, I I started falling away from the church and and my marriage was failing. Meanwhile, so the one thing I will say about my dad, uh, when I did go into boot camp, it was pretty easy. When these guys were yelling at me, I said, wow, my dad yells way worse than these guys. So, but anyway, I, I was in the service at about 20. And over that last 1920, uh, you know, I'd been in the world experiencing everything they say uh, will bring you happiness or fun or whatever. Uh, but God started pulling on me. Uh, I, I never would say I didn't believe in God. You know, I was raised to believe in God. Um, I just all this time kind of turned my back on him. And I know it was, you know, looking back when I was 10, I was angry at God. So uh, I just kind of went my own way, kind of turned my back on him, didn't focus on God at all. But then, you know, when I was in the service at about 20, uh, God was pulling on me, kind of. And so I started seeking. I started uh, you know, talking to some people. One guy invited me to church. It was an evangelical church, you know, a guy in the service. And I said, no, I have to go to the Catholic church because that's all I knew. And I didn't, yeah, so I turned that one down. But anyway, I did have a girlfriend when I was 20. And we kind of met at a crossroads where I had been in the world and wanted to get closer to God. She had been going to church and, and living more of the Christian life and wanted to experience clubbing and things like that. So we kind of met at this crossroads, and I uh, expressed a desire to go to church. And so she, we were going to go. One Sunday we went to a church, and it was a Grace Brethren Church in Seal Beach, California. And I remember <clears throat> during the service, at the end of the service, the pastor gave a clear explanation of the gospel. And so as a Catholic, you do all this... Uh, ceremonial stuff like you know lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world have mercy on us and so i knew all the things but i never really clicked what it meant and so when this pastor was explaining salvation i got it and so and he actually led a prayer from up front i didn't go up front i sat in the pew but i prayed to God that day and basically he said you you know you got to repent you're going away from God you got to turn around and go towards him and so you know I made that mental decision yeah I want to do that uh, you you know surrender your life to him ask him to come in and cleanse you and, and I did that and for me it was kind of a a spiritual moment or or I could actually kind of feel the presence of God not that that's necessary but that was my experience and so I know at that point you know, I was saved. Uh, I 
funny, I was still in the service. I was working as a security guard at night, and I was working with this other person and kind of talking to him at night, and he invited me to church. And so I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll go there. And it just so happened to be a Grace Brethren Church, Bellflower Brethren, which was weird because there's probably in Orange County and L.A. County, there's probably four Grace Brethren Churches. It's a very small denomination, not very many of them. But, you know, again, I think God was leading me somewhere and started going to this church, uh, got immersed in Bible study. I mean, I was going I was with the college career group going Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday evening, Wednesday uh, doing discipleships. Uh, I mean, that was their motto. So they just immersed me in scripture. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had several years of, of study there and, and really striving to do what God wanted. And I'd like to tell you that my story's great and, you know, I lived this perfect Christian life. But the reality is, even as a Christian, I've got years of trying to serve God. I have years of turning my back on God. So, uh, and, you know, I, I would say most of it is kind of selfish. I'm going to compare my story to the kid you saw at Walmart who asked for the toy. They told him no. He lays down and starts flailing on the ground. Mother's dragging him through the store. That's kind of how I am with God sometimes. So uh, when I was in my early 20s, I actually was married at the time. I applied for the L.A. County Sheriff's. And, you know, I've as far as I've gotten, no, never been arrested, had a secret security clearance in the military, uh, so nothing to stop me. Went through the oral interviews, the background checks, the, well, not the background checks, the uh, physical agility tests, psychological evaluations. Uh, I did it all, uh, was fast-tracked. Then I go to the last part of it, and it's the background check. And so they asked me about uh, drug use. You know, here, fill out this form. And I, uh, you know, in the past, I would have just said no, because there's no proof, right? You can't prove it. So I didn't do it. But, uh, you know, I was trying to be right, do the things that God wanted me to do. So I actually, you know, smoked marijuana 3,000 times. And, you know, anyway, they didn't like those answers. So they actually gave me a sheet and said, here, fill this out. And this is to take back your application. We're going to throw it in the trash and you can reapply. So they were asking me, basically, if you throw this away, fill it out again, do it right, we're going to hire you. And I said, nope, that's not me. I'm a spiritual giant, so let let that go through. And so I was not admitted. And then I got mad at God because, wait a minute, I did everything you told me to, everything you wanted. You should have did it my way. And so uh, I started, you know, again, both times, it wasn't like, I rebel against you, God, but that's what I did. And so I started, it just slowly, maybe up, slept in one Sunday, didn't go to church. I wound up moving a little further away, uh, looking for church, uh, a new church to go to and uh, not really finding one. For a while, going to a church with like 10,000 members where you could just come in, watch the show, uh, not interact with anybody and leave. So, you know, but it just... You know, I, I just started going further and further away, uh, living for how much money I could make, what I, what the world could give me again. Uh, in that time, you know, screwed up my marriage, got a divorce. Uh, you know, so God, you know, did, you know, I did 
come back again. You know, it was kind of the, my prodigal son years. I, I was a child of the king, you know, out squandering my inheritance. When I came home, he accepted me back. So um, in the midst of all this, Bob and I met. Um, and my kids were all in elementary school, about six, eight, and ten. Um, we, yeah, we had a lot of parties. Um, yeah, we had a, a great time. I never had done any of this stuff. We enjoyed life. Um, no, but that's, so, but on top of that, Bob and I would have discussions. We would have discussions about, uh, you know, if you died, do you know where you'd go? I'm worried about you. And I asked him, I said, well, for you, what, is, what do you think it takes to go to heaven? And he said, well, to know that Christ died for your sins. And I said, that's great, because that's what Mormons teach, so I know that. Um, so, <clears throat> but things with my ex-husband um, just got worse and worse. Um, he would do things that would... Uh, to manipulate my kids to uh, just to hurt them to hurt me um, and and it it would enrage me um, one of the things when we had we lived together a couple of years then we got married um, and we would go to church every once in a while but not regularly uh, when when Bob got offered a job in Arizona, um, I never wanted to move out of California. I was born and raised there, but uh, my ex was not fun to be around, and so it looked appealing. So uh, we decided to move to Arizona, and we had a beautiful house there, and on the golf course, and uh, but. I was depressed. I was devastated that two of my kids didn't come with me. Um, And and when I would call to speak to them, my ex wouldn't let me even speak to them. So um, I started going to counseling when we got there. I... Uh, the counselor was not a Christian counselor, but he said things that were interesting to me. He said, we, we have a pyramid, and at the bottom of your pyramid, what is your foundation? And he said, there's five things. It's yourself, your job, your kids, your spouse, and God. What's your foundation? I said, for sure, it's my kids. Um, Next, it's my spouse, and then maybe self and God, you know, somewhere in there. I didn't have a job at the time. So um, he said, God needs to be your foundation. Otherwise, just imagine putting that top thing on the bottom. Your whole world's going to fall over. And I thought, that's weird. I wonder why he's talking to me about God or this higher power, because he's not a Christian counselor. Um, then we had our youngest son, Steele. We had a son together. Um, he was around four at the time. 
I took him to the restroom, and there was a line in the restroom, and this woman in front of me is talking to me, and she says, oh, he's such a cute kid. Is this your only child? And I lost it, and I just started crying, and I said, no, I have other kids. They're just not here. And she said, God is aware of what you're going through. And I thought, this is really strange and weird. Why would someone be talking to me about God in a bathroom? And then when I called, when we moved to Arizona, I called to change my phone service. And I said, I need an easy number because I want my kids to call. I want them to remember my number. And I cried because I cry really well. And um, she says to me, God's aware of what you're going through. And I thought, wow, this lady could lose her job. (laughs) She can't talk to me about God. Um, So God was pointing me toward him. I also bought tickets because Bob was in sales, and so was my oldest son at the time and my son's friends. And so I bought them tickets to go see a motivational speaker. I thought it would be great for sales. Uh, His name was Zig Ziglar. And... um, My son's friend couldn't go, and so I ended up going. And I didn't know he was a Christian. And I remember there was like three or four speakers and then Zig Ziglar, and and everyone said, put God first. And I remember looking up and down the aisle thinking, where did I come to? I thought this was some motivational speaker. I didn't think this was some Christian convention. But... All that to say, God was pushing me uh, and pulling me toward him. We also started attending a church that everyone was about 100 there. They were at the average age. I'm not exaggerating. It was, they were over 70. We were by far the youngest people there. And um, they did an alpha program. And uh, I attended that with my son and some of his friends. Um, but... God was pulling me, but I I am stubborn and resistant. Uh, but when things happened with my kids, um, I had an issue with one of my kids that we went to court because he wanted to come out and be with us. And anyway, there was a lot of circumstances that uh, he couldn't come. So I just remember feeling like this wasn't a good situation for him to be in. And my hands were tied and I couldn't do anything. So I remember just being at my end and wanting to die. I couldn't do it anymore. And um, so I remember going into my closet. And at that time, I had a great closet, so there was room to go in there, and I knelt down. And um, I just knelt down, and I said, all right, I give up. I can't do it anymore on my own. I'm done. Um, I'll do it your way, Um, which was incredibly scary for me because the only way I knew was the Mormon way. And what if God led me in another direction? What would that look like for me? Um, Which, you know, 
we think a lot of times it's easy just to move in a different direction. It's not. This is your foundation. And so I remember telling God, all right, I'll do it your way. But you promised to work all things out for good. And how can this be for good? Because my kids aren't in a good situation. And, um, and so at the time, at the time, uh, I... I said, okay, I'll just read your word, and whatever you reveal to me, that's what I'll believe. And so I, I went, um, I started highlighting my Bible and, and marking things that didn't go, uh, that went against the way I was raised. Uh, I, in the midst of this, it didn't, everything just didn't get better. Right in the middle of all of this, um, we had $6,000 mortgage. We had a beautiful home on the golf course. And Bob's boss, he got a new boss, and he came in. Uh, we had a party at our house. And he, you could see there was jealousy in his eyes. And the next day, Bob was one of the top, he was the top four salesmen for all of Wyndham. And the guy called him in the office and said, I know you're doing well, but I don't want you here anymore, and fired and got rid of him and said he couldn't work at that office anymore. So now we're there. I'm in the middle of all of this that's going on in my life. Um, I went into rehab for depression and um, just sorting out a lot of these issues I had with relationships and um, and being I was driven by fear and feeling like like I wasn't enough um, but some of the things that came out of that day in the closet I started seeing things when my ex would do things to manipulate and hurt the kids I had compassion which I thought wow that didn't come from me. I'm not capable of that because I've tried. I had peace. I had joy. And and life looked incredibly different for me. Um, when my youngest son, my ex, wouldn't allow the kids, I'd buy airplane tickets and wouldn't allow them to come. But when he turned, my youngest son turned 18, um, he came, we, by this time, because Bob lost the job, we moved to Montana. They offered him, the company offered him to run their sales and marketing in West Yellowstone, Montana. So we ended up moving there. Um, and while we were there, my youngest son came to visit, and I told him how my life had changed. And so shortly after that, when I had seen him on one of the next visits, um, I could see that he had peace. And he told me that he had accepted Christ because he knew that the change that happened in my life couldn't have been from me. And so he was baptized in the river in Yellowstone. And um, I remember God saying to me, how am I going to work it out for good? And he was faithful. Um, and so I've really made a mess of my life. Um, it's been ugly, 
but I know that when I lean into him, he promises to work it out for good. So real quickly, I just, Steve asked us to kind of explain how we got to here from Montana. So go to, we lived in Montana for about nine months, doing really well up there, had a great job, little town, snowmobiling. Uh, and uh, in the uh, December, about the middle, around this time, uh, 2008, if you remember back then, all the banks went belly up. So uh, we had a meeting. They had us drive to Idaho Falls, had three sales offices meet there uh, with HR, which is always a good thing. And uh, they basically said, uh, you know, this is Wednesday, Friday. Uh, all your offices are going to be closed. Uh, they closed down about 70% of their sales offices around the country. So now I'm in West Yellowstone unemployed. Uh, I st- I, they still had some offices open in Salt Lake, so I was driving to Salt Lake to, for the going down for the week, driving home on the weekends. Uh, and I just had a conversation with God in some of these long uh, drives about, you know, basically the – I was listening to the radio and they were talking about the, you know, make yourself a living sacrifice, fully acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable course of action, I think is how it goes. But anyway, I uh, said, you know, I just told God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do that. And uh, I remember clearly God saying, the rest of your life, you're going to work for me. Okay, what what does that mean? You know, there's lots of things you could do. So we contemplated, prayed about it, uh, you know, and yeah, I was willing to do what he wanted me to do. I just didn't know exactly what that was. So after about six months, we decided, uh, and it wasn't a light decision to go to Texas. I went to seminary, uh, got a master's of divinity. Uh, and then after that, it was like, okay, God, we did that. So what do you want us to do now? And so we wound up going back to Montana because, that was the most spiritually dark place I've ever lived. I mean, we'd go to the churches, try and do, like, outreach to the community, small town, and they told us, oh, we tried that 25 years ago. That doesn't work. Uh, we had things with the youth, which the biggest church in town was the Mormon church, and so we had these Mormon kids coming for craft and uh, karaoke night and different things. We'd, uh, you know, talk about the gospel with them and stuff, and their parents were letting them come. And the church members were saying, well, we don't want to do this. People will just drop their kids off with us. Uh, you know, so they were against pretty much everything, uh, not really interested in. They did potlucks, and they'd say, now, let's not invite anybody because they'll just mess it up for us, right? So it just seemed like a pretty dark place. So we went to back to – I killed this one. We went back to Montana, and, uh, you know, Actually, I used most of my 401k to, you know, be unemployed for three years, pay for for my master's program, get back to Montana. Uh, we did first and last month's rent, and we were dead broke zero. So I, I do believe that was divine too. That the money was just enough. Uh, we so uh, we get back there, and I, I got a job making started at about 10 bucks an hour, which is kind of tough to make a living uh, at the days in doing maintenance. And so after about three months of this and, you know, having no nobody in the no uh, ministry that seemed like it had any fruit whatsoever because nobody was really interested in that in that town, it seemed 
So I'm asking God about three months into this, okay, so why did you take us to seminary, bring us back here? I mean, this seems like a waste of time. And uh, what happened is uh, in West Yellowstone, they have about eight months of snow on the ground and four months of 4,000 or 4 million visitors going through Yellowstone National Park. And so what they would do in the winter, jobs were pretty scarce. In the summer, they'd bring people from all over the world to work there. And so these 10 kids, they were college students in China, were brought to the Days Inn to work the summer. They were on a, like a summer program. And so, uh, you know, I befriended them. I asked one of them if he wanted to go to a Bible study I was doing. About 10 minutes later, another one runs up to me and says, hey, you know that thing you, he's going to? Can I go to that too? And so we wound up doing Bible study about twice a week. We'd have them over for dinner, just, you know, poured into these Chinese students for the summer. And, and I remember God pretty much telling me, you know, at the time you couldn't go to China and say, hey, I want to be a missionary. And God said, don't worry about it. I'll bring them to you. And so during this time, one of the 10 kids became a Christian. At the end of their summer, they got one month to travel the U.S., and the, the one kid comes to me and says, you know, I want to stay here with you and just study the Bible every day for my one month. And at the time, I was working two jobs, so, you know, a swing shift and a morning job, and I really didn't have the time I could. So what we did is, uh, you know, from our time at the seminary, Michelle actually worked uh, in the president's home, and they had some interns there. We, we hooked him up with one of the interns where he went to the seminary I attended, lived there for the month, went to chapel four days a week, went to, you know, he could go to classes with them, go to Bible studies. And so he spent about a month doing that. And then um, when, once these kids went back home, we have heard from one of them that they became a Christian after they went back to China. So, so you know, there was some some reason for being there, but we wound up after about two years there really hard to pay the electric bill in the winter time. Uh, I think I probably got up to about twelve fifty an hour by then, so you know I was rolling in it uh, but that's why we decided, yeah, we got to go back to civilization and so we came to uh, Bothell about mm, four years ago and uh, and uh, we've been here ever since so uh, I'm on time. That's it. We'll do it, yeah. What I like about the story is it's not clean. Did you get that? It's not a finish, end, kind of thing. It's muddling all the way through, finding what God wants, and, and trying to come up with this process of surrender and what does that look like? What, what's involved with that? And you can see the stages and stuff. Let's give them a hand again for sharing. That's really, on Christmas, deeply appreciated. So this morning as we come, uh, we've been talking about God saves, right? And the clear presentation that Bob was talking about is the pastor got up and said, if you don't know the Lord... If you don't know you're going to heaven, if you don't have a relationship with them, one of the ways that that happens is you've got to understand that you're a sinner, that you have blown it, that you've done things wrong, right? Either action, where you actually done it, or intent. You wanted to, you just didn't have the guts or the ability to pull the trigger on it. But you know something's wrong. You know something's wrong inside, and that creates this void inside that tells us we aren't right with God. 
And that's where the scripture says if we cry out to God and we ask him to save us and we ask him into our life and ask him to forgive us of our sins, God will do that. And I couldn't think of a more appropriate place to do that than on on this Sunday morning right before we walk into Christmas because that's why Jesus, Jesus came. So I just want to pause this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, there may be someone here this morning who knows that they know they're not saved. They know all about you. They don't know you. And you created moments like this. I remember it in my life. We heard it this morning in Bob Michelle's life. Where there came that desperate place where we're terrified and yet we have to cry out to you. And Lord, maybe some this morning just say, Lord Jesus, I'm lost. I'm lost in my sin. I need you in my heart. I need to know you, just not know about you. I don't have your life. I don't have confidence I'd go to heaven. And Lord, I want to pray right now that they would ask you in, ask you to come into your life. And Lord, in that would involve the willingness to surrender to your authority, that you're God, not them, and that they submit to your authority. Both Bob and Michelle articulated really well the authority struggle. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would meet them, that they would sense your cleansing, your washing, your Holy Spirit coming into their life. And Lord, that they would know something different has happened because they have sensed you changing something that they couldn't change. Lord, may you seal that. May you uh, and your spirit protect that. And Lord, may they let someone know if they did that. And so we give all of that to you with incredible hope and ask this in your name and all God's people said, Amen.